Thanks for listening to Shift Your Spirits. I'm Slade Robertson. For 13 years, I've been a professional intuitive, but I try to talk about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most New Age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. It is Sunday, August 25th, 2019, as I record this introduction. This week, I'm sharing a book I've been meaning to write for about 9 or 10 years now, Spirit Guides for Skeptics. It's something of an update to the free tutorial, Contacting Your Spirit Guides 101, that I give away on my website. It's meant to explain my evolution on the concept of connecting with guides, including a way to access guides from a more intellectual, agnostic, psychological point of view. As always, there's an oracle segment at the end of the show. Be thinking about a question or a concern you have. Hold it in your mind, and I'll come back on after the final links and credits and leave you with that extra message. Thank you to all of you who continue to pledge your support on Patreon. It demonstrates that you're enjoying the show and want it to continue. It's very encouraging to me, so thank you. Listeners who support the show on Patreon can access a guided meditation called Messages from Your Spirit Guides, exclusive bonus episodes, and there's also a mastery level of support where you can download one of my courses for free each month. To find out how you can become a patron, support my time in producing this show, and access extra bonus content, please go to patreon.com slash shiftyourspirits. Here's a book I've been meaning to write. It doesn't seem like I'm ever going to get around to some of the books that I intend to write, so I'm just going to start telling you some of my book ideas instead. Just take my outlines and my notes and talk it through like it's a podcast episode. I'm so much closer to prolific as a podcaster than as a book author. So many millions more words come out of my mouth and end up in audio than end up in print. And I guess it doesn't really matter that much because if you're here listening to this, you are just as willing to hear me tell it to you as you are dying to read it at night under the covers with a flashlight or whatever. I suppose the important thing is that the ideas get shared. And this is one that has been just knocking on my door for years. And I'm like, okay, let's let's try this. When I first started the Shift Your Spirits blog, I initially had this offer, which you've heard me talk about before, where people could get a free, quick little email reading with me in exchange for getting on my email list. And that produced way too many requests for readings and like months and months of work. So I took that down very quickly and put up a more standard subscriber incentive, which was at the time um, one of the many tutorials that I was working on about communicating with guides. And it was just called Contacting Your Spirit Guides 101. And it was meant to be a kind of basic tutorial for someone coming into this concept for the first time. Um, I was trying not to tread on Doreen Virtue's territory in speaking about angels, even though I've always honestly considered myself a little bit more of an angel sensitive than just a spirit guide person. But for SEO reasons and branding and all kinds of really unmystical reasons, 
I chose to kind of go after the term spirit guides and to use it more generally um, to include things like ascended masters and angels and ancestors and a whole host of different types of entities and sources. So I put Contacting Your Spirit Guides 101 out as a freebie. And I've always given people the advice that your free download should be just as good as anything that you sell because it's really more important than everything else that you put on your website. It's often the one thing that uh, people take the time to read of greater length from you. It's often their first introduction to your concepts, which brings me to a little bit of a problem with contacting your spirit guides 101. It was kind of a placeholder at the moment. If nothing else, it was really only meant to be temporary. And I always thought, oh, I'll come back and and put something else up, or I'll, I'll come up with something that's a better introduction to this subject matter from my perspective, and I'll, I'll put out something different. Always thought I would do something different, but it remained popular, and there were always people coming into the conversation who wanted to at least check in with that basic information and compare it to what they already knew about these concepts. And even if you were someone who was experienced with it, it's often effective from the perspective of the author of a tutorial to create something that people at least want to use as a checklist to make sure that they're not missing anything in their own process. That curiosity alone will drive a lot of more advanced readers to check out more basic material. So yeah. I always thought over time, as my interests evolved, as my perspectives evolved, I would create other things along the way. And if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, I'll probably, you know, once a year, I'll change out my free offering and I'm just going to have this whole shelf full of them one day. And I'll look back and say, oh, look at all my subscriber incentives. Because I always move on. I evolve in my ideas and I like new projects and I like to create something different. And for whatever reason, I just always left contacting your spirit guides 101 in place, knowing with each passing year how far away I was probably getting from the mindset from which I wrote that. But not to discredit it because I still encounter people today who are in that moment of discovery about their guides or are in the first blush of, oh, wow, I have spirit guides. What's that about? You know what I mean? Um, There's always somebody who's at that stage. And so that version of myself or that version of me frozen in time is something they can relate to and it speaks to them. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's not like... It's not like I can't philosophically absorb any criticism that, you know what, I don't think the same thing as I thought at one point. I've moved on in my thoughts. But I often wonder if people who are drawn to that first freebie even recognize what I'm talking about now. Because, you know, let's say you found Contacting Your Spirit Guides 101 last night and you read it. And now today, you're listening to this podcast. It's the first one. You've just found me. 
And this is the, the, the one at the top of the feed. That ought to make for an interesting comparison, right? They're going to think, wow, he's really done a flip-flop. But every time I go to write about spirit guides for skeptics, I hear that title as if it's a bolt from the blue, a shining sentence that I've never heard before. And I'll think, yes, I need to write that. And I go to Evernote so that I can put a note in with that title as the title of the note just so I won't forget it or I'll at least remember it. And then I find that I've done that very same thing like seven or eight times over years. I've been wanting to write Spirit Guides for Skeptics for at least seven years. That's how far back the oldest note that I saw went. So it may have even been, you know, like the second thing I ever wanted to write as a subscriber incentive was just a rewrite of the one that I have up there. And just now, when I went to find my outline and my notes for this, because I remembered writing at least that much, maybe within the last year, I found note after note after note, all of them empty with the title Spirit Guides for Skeptics, except for one with the outline, and then a note from about nine years ago where I subtitled the piece The Thinking Person's Guide to Spirit Entities which I don't like now at all because I really don't want to imply that anyone who believes in communicating with spirit guides is stupid. That wasn't what I was getting at. But as an intellectual person with an ego that's been trained in academic liberal arts and that whole environment, I've always admittedly struggled with aspects of what I call my magical worldview. I'm a believer in science. I love science. I despise religion, religiosity, dogma. Having lived my entire life in the Bible Belt of East Tennessee and Georgia, I've been defending myself against Christian fundamentalists for as long as I can remember. But I'm also a writer, a creative person, a lover of magic, a neo-pagan, friend of the radical fairies, a feminist. I profess to believe in witchcraft. I do work spells. I sense ghosts. I hear spirits. I see angels and shadow people. And I just know things about people who I've never met before, especially if they ask me questions. I used to refer to my intuition as clairaudience specifically. But after all these years as a professional intuitive, my abilities have evolved and sort of collapsed really into something that can be more aptly described as claircognizance. It's just a big diamond of layers and facets of information that can be unfurled and picked apart and unfolded and have light shone through and... It's just this dense sort of black hole of information in reverse that you can dip into or that will sort of spit out information at you. Just 
you just know it. It's an instantaneous download. That's claircognizance. And that's really how I work at this point. I don't really think too much about if I'm talking to my guide or your guide or if they're having a conversation and then relaying stuff back to me. Like, I don't, if it's telepathy straight from your brain, I don't really get in the weeds about that anymore. I just sort of throw all of that into the hole and call it claircognizance. And it's a well and dip stuff out of it. Clairaudience always felt directly connected to spirit communication. And that may not necessarily be so. It may not hold up, but that's how I was talking about it. And of course, seeing angels and spirits is clairvoyance. Um, But claircognizance, it became apparent to me, is much more free of those entities. It's just a kind of pure information. And then that thought makes me question how much my psychic ability generally is independent of spirit entities or even a belief in any kind of deity. Now that discussion may depend upon your definition of God and certainly many people define God as something of a collective consciousness, a database of all things from which claircognizance downloads that information. That's one definition of God that mm, I could probably work with. I've recently been referring to myself as a spiritual atheist or as a psychic atheist, trying on those labels to see if they might fit a little bit better. Seeing how much I might divorce intuition and psychic abilities from belief in spirit entities. I definitely experience feedback and corroboration to support my belief in the abilities. That I'm not questioning. Not so much, anyway. Not in this conversation. It's the source that I'm a little bit mm, hung up on. Where does the information come from? Who said it has to be spirits? I no longer remember why I decided that that was the case, but could I have been wrong or could it just be that I thought it was one thing and now as I've waded further and further into it, I realize, oh, this is actually something else, just as valuable. It's not really a question of one thing being wrong or stupid and another thing being right. I don't think we can be that definitive about this kind of stuff without being assholes. Academic studies in ESP do not include the spirit mythology. They seek to understand intuition and psychic ability as a part of human biology and psychology. ESP researchers can believe in extrasensory perception without believing in God. Or with believing in God. So, since I have a bit of trouble believing in God, why don't I just sort of wander down the path toward the ESP researchers who are agnostic or atheists and sort of go hang out somewhere closer to their camp and see what I pick up. How did I even end up over here in the camp with the psychics and the spiritualists and the angel communicators? 
I've never been a medium. I've never personally experienced anything that has to do with mediumship. I weirdly find myself not that interested in it. Like, my mom loves shows about mediums, and one of my best friends is a medium. But I don't... I I have a curiosity and an interest for them and for talking to them about it, but I don't have a personal curiosity to match it. I'm not on my own seeking out that kind of information. I don't know why. It just isn't... I just don't really care that much about it for me. I don't have any personal evidence for it, but at the same time, I also do not need to dismiss it, so don't hear it that way. I'm kind of fascinated by the evidence of others, and I sure would love to know the hell, you know, like what the hell's going on with all the mediumship stuff, and I always hope that, you know, one of my friends or family members who's really into that will bring me that information. They love to bring me the stories and the evidence and be like, oh my God, this thing, isn't it cool? And it's like, that is really cool. How do we explain that? But I'm okay with letting the mediums research mediumship and report back to me. I promise I will be just, you know, hanging on every word if you want to talk to me about it. But I'm also okay with remaining in the category of the mystery. Just sort of leaving it all open-ended while I handle the parts that I'm curious about. And that could be for my entire life. You know, the mystery may predate my lifetime and exist beyond it. It is a mystery. It's always speculation. No one definitely knows. And anyone who claims to is, they're lying, you know, or they're a little bit delusional. Now they can say, I believe this to be so, and here's why. Here's some of the things that I've run across or experienced as evidence. That's okay. Just don't tell me it's fact, because that's not correct. Most popular channeled information is completely not corroborated in any way. There's no proof that comes from a channel any different from the imagination. There's just not. We want it to be sometimes, but it bothers me when somebody espouses some, air quotes, truth about the architecture of heaven and earth, and then when someone questions, well, where is that coming from? Oh, it's channeled. Yeah, it's it's channeled. Okay, well... That's interesting, but it's not proof of anything. In a reading, I might channel information for a client, and they can then corroborate, oh, yes, that's actually so, or you're really close to, I recognize what you're talking about there. Um, I could channel information about something for them to investigate or try a clue to move them forward, and they can go out and act on that, and we can see a result from it. Okay, that's still channeled, but me telling you that I channeled a story about your past life, unless we can find maybe a tombstone or a death certificate with those details on it, that doesn't just automatically make it so, oh, it's channeled. He's a channel. 
I don't know. Something about that kind of bugs me. I know I, I probably sound bristly around that whole concept, and I'm I'm not coming for anybody that's a channel. I consider what I do channeling. I consider both the fiction that I write and the nonfiction that I write to be channeled. So yeah, I mean, I've evolved over the years since I wrote Contacting Your Spirit Guides 101 to this point where I'm talking about spirit guides for skeptics because I still think there's something really useful and powerful in this concept. It's just that I'm looking at it from some new angles. I've got a, a new filter on. I'm not pulling a full Doreen here. I'm not coming at you with everything I told you I no longer believe. You know, that's not what's happening. Um, but I am increasingly interested in psychic modalities where there is some evidence. And when I teach intuitive development and I teach people how to do readings and support them in doing energy work or whatever it might be, even if it is mediumship, to really focus on that evidence. Not only because it's somehow proof and it makes it easier to believe, but also because it is practical and it's more useful. So, spiritual atheist, ESP, channel, psychic, can I have it all those ways at once? You know, can I find a way to include both the muggles and the unicorn people in one big audience and somehow speak to them? Because this comes out of a lot of conversations with people who know me and have known me for years and they like me and they like my writing and um, they like talking to me and they're even interested in hearing some of the mystical stuff that I like to talk about, but they don't necessarily believe in it. And sometimes they're asking me about it not because they want me to prove something to them, but, but because they're saying, can you present this to me in such a way that I can use it without necessarily having to believe the same way as some other people? And I like that. That's the filter that I'm looking at. That's the challenge. That's the book I wanted to write. You know, authors are some of the most magical muggles there are. And you can take a muggle author, meaning someone who's not into spirituality, personal development, new age, anything. You can find an author who is a straight up, you know, any genre of writer, whether they're writing contemporary, realistic stuff or fantasy. Um, find one who has never darkened the door of a church in their lifetime and has no interest to. And they will still speak about their writing process in a way that is extremely magical, extremely mystical. Artists are the same. Um, of course, I talk to kind of more authors than than anyone else, but musicians, authors, um, visual artists, they're all kind of in this process of excavation sharing something that they sense there in the dark and they're feeling it out in such a way that they can then describe or explain it or show it to other people. And when you get one of them to talk about it, 
they talk about characters as entities. They talk about stories as being dictated to them by an intelligence outside of their own. They talk about their imagination being in being used as a tool in service to something like a muse or an archetypal form. I mean, there have even been in history, you know, like scientists whose mathematical equations were dictated to them by elves and crazy stuff like that, right? Um, they're not out there, you know, as big names in the New Age community or anything like that. So I just always found that very interesting. Um, if you want to do this thought experiment of spirit guides for skeptics, authors are a really fun group because they can really go there with the metaphorical language and the symbolism and the glitter of it all. They will heap it on. But you ask them if they believe in that, they don't necessarily believe in the existence of gods or angels or dead grandmas or any of that. So that's fascinating to me, um, how we can have a capacity to do both. Now, as far as self-exploration, you know, mental hacks are very powerful things. You can spend a lot of time navel-gazing and policing your thoughts and examining the mansion of your mind and, and really learning it and moving things around and reorganizing it and behaving within it in a different way, living within your mind in a different way such that it then changes how you act and speak in the world and how you take in and process information and how you react to what's coming at you from the outside. All of that stuff is about guidance, guidance systems, orienting yourself within the reality that you perceive. And that can be a very philosophical conversation. Again, that has nothing to do with spirit entities whispering in your ear, go left. Um, it could be much more about this looking into a mirror and really examining the way in which your mind and belief system work. And it's almost like lucid dreaming, you know, mind hacks. It's the, it's the, force within yourself that allows you to stop and say, okay, wait a minute. I don't like the way I'm thinking here. I don't like the way I'm responding emotionally. What is that about? Can it be altered? Is there a better way for me to behave internally? And then we get into, you know, Jungian archetypes. The thing that I think that's so fascinating about modern clinical academic psychology is that barely a hundred years ago, maybe a little more now, but I mean, we're talking a century ago. We have two individual human beings, Carl Jung and Freud, Sigmund Freud. And these two, are they both German or Austrian? I don't know. Um, these two guys create an entire academic field that is now recognized as a profession on par with, you know, 
the medical community, um, just kind of out of a lot of really ancient, mystical, symbolic concepts that have been part of the human mind and, and spirit and belief system for millennia. Who knows how far back the archetypes go? How far back does the concept of God go? You know, how far back do the figurines of the mother goddess that we dig up, how far back do those go? These concepts have been around the archetypes of the tarot, dream symbolism, astrology. These things are really, really ancient. It's a vocabulary, really. It's like a language. And Jung, in particular, was very fascinated with bringing those concepts into this modern, clinical, psychological, academic space. You know, we sort of credit him with somehow being a bridge between those worlds. And, you know... So if you look at that on a timeline, it's like modern psychology and life coaching and you know all the intellectual ways that we think about these concepts. It's it's like a blip. It's a really really recent blip. And what came before it went on for a really long time. So you know there's a literal way that guides are guides. We have it in our language. We have it in our pop psychology zeitgeist, the inner compass, the higher self, true north, sense of purpose, natural talent, calling, ethics, morality, boundaries, conscience. These are all guides. Many more than any other metaphor that kind of works for me currently is that I perceive guides, spirits, angels, ascended masters as archetypal programs. It's like all those archetypes in the tarot and in Jung and in, you know, Carolyn Mace's work. They're like apps on a device. We're the device. Our mind, our, our spirit, our souls are these pieces of technology that come preloaded with programs, some of which we use more frequently than others. For whatever reason, some get activated within us um, while others lay dormant, depending on our environmental circumstances and just how we're moving through the world and what we're encountering. There are some that we might work to um, minimize and replace with something else. But I think of them as software, basically. I'm not a parent, but I, in, in the instance that you give me a baby to watch over or a pet or something, I can still tap into a mother archetype or a father archetype Um if you were to be single for most of your life and then suddenly find yourself pregnant, that could activate those archetypes. It's sort of, you know, run as needed. It's kind of like, you know, I've got some spreadsheet programs that come on my computer that I never touch because I don't use 
those kinds of tools, they're not necessary for what I'm doing. Whereas I might use things like Photoshop or um, Evernote or you know something else with a, a lot more frequency, sound engineering equipment and stuff like that. Um, and just like with programs on a computer, these archetypes can be activated and run within us. And that's how I conceive of the guides. That's what guides are to me right now. That's the way it feels comfortable for me to think about them. Yes, they do exist outside of me because they exist in other people as well as myself. There is a sort of cellular memory or there's some kind of DNA transfer of this information happening. And I could also say that there are other living things that display these archetypes as well. Other mammals, you know, even insects um, have some types of social formations that we can graft onto our own experience. So, yeah, there are these programs exist in the universe, within reality, in a lot of different places, dialed up and dialed down. And, you know, who knows if bees don't think that they're listening to, you know, the voice of their leader or whatever um, when they transfer their chemical language to one another. Who knows if that feels mystical to them? You know, they do those dances and stuff, right? So, um, yeah, who knows what's going on with those little creatures. They may have their own sort of religious experience going on. They may really experience a kind of religious reality in at a level that we don't because maybe that's what allows them to have fewer mental processes than us or whatever. I don't know. I'm just... I'm going off like stoner bitching right there. <laughs> That's like a whole other conversation. But what I'm trying to get at is this idea of whether something's conceptual or literal. I kind of feel like you can talk about it from either point of view. And it's still useful and it's still also questionable. Now within the bubble of the self, the mind-body connection is sort of all-powerful. We only run into trouble when we try to proclaim things outside of our mind-body bubble and project it into and onto other people's realities. But within our own bubble, within your own bubble, you can do anything you want. You can believe anything you want. You can choose any worldview to apply that makes you happy or f- makes you feel safe or that makes you feel smart maybe you take one of these more intellectual philosophical abstract metaphorical worldviews within your mind body bubble maybe you use spirit guides as programs and that allows you to access those thought experiments But what if you engage it, however it is that you see it, and just see what the results are? You don't necessarily have to believe anything. You can just play with the concept. You can execute a thought experiment. 
you can do it for shits and giggles. Does it matter what the entities are? That may be a separate question, and we might not even be able to answer that. I don't want to claim that they're real or not real, because I really don't know. And that might be disappointing to you. Because I think sometimes, if you're putting yourself out there as a psychic who sees these things and hears these things, then what people really want from you is some kind of affirmation of life after death or that their loved ones are still out there waiting for them. You know, um, I understand the emotional motivation for a lot of that. And I'm again, not discounting anything. I'm just not going to say it's true. It's real. Everything you've heard. Absolutely. I can corroborate it because I've channeled it. Mm, No, doesn't work like that. You know, I mean, even seeing ghosts could be something like an augmented reality. You think about Google Glass or even something as simple as, you know, car windshields now have little digital displays built in them so that when you're looking through the windshield, you see the speed that you're going and the time over in the corner of your vision. Those are technologically enhanced augmented realities. Now, you know, Is that little number that says it's 3.35 in the afternoon, does it truly exist? Well, when you turn your car off, it doesn't, you know. Um, But when the car's on and you're driving and you're setting in a certain place where that is intended for you to see and use, then it is an augmented reality. And so I've often felt that because I see things, I hear stuff. And what do you do with that? I'm sitting over here thinking, oh, it's all archetypal programming and it's just, you know, this big complex mental machinery and I'm sitting over here working with that and then I see something flat out of the corner of my eye and I'm like, holy shit, what am I looking at? All right, well, I still think that it could be a biological function, that it's perfectly within the realm of medical reality that we have the ability to perceive things just as animals can see and hear things in other spectrums and at different frequencies than we do. Theories and myths are only stories, but stories are still powerful. So can we work with that first? The information could come from spirit guides, your guardian angel, your imaginary friend, your deceased relative, your ancestor, your higher self, your subconscious, your imagination. What can you do with it? So at this point in the book that I was going to write, I was going to go through the existing Contacting Your Spirit Guides 101 And look at everything through this filter that I'm sharing with you right now. Do I have to throw some stuff out? Do the steps still hold up? Does the process of accessing your guides still work within something like an archetypal programming concept? And here in this moment, I haven't read through that tutorial in years Um, There have been a few times that I've edited it or reproduced it in different 
ebook formats. I think I did that, you know, a few years ago was the last time. Changed the copyright number. So I'm going to do something very reality show live in the moment here. I'm going to skim through that ebook. I'm going to open it up in my Kindle reader and live right now with you, just off the cuff. I'm going to look through it and see how well it holds up to this filter. I got to say the first thing that pops up is the cover, which I love my cover for contacting your spirit guides 101. If you want to see it again, it's on the uh, sladerobertson.com slash free page. Um, it's, it's the visual on, on that page. Um, it has been for, for quite some time, but I really dig that image and, um, I've always liked that cover. So I'm going to just kind of go through here a little bit. Um, the first thing that I see is this introductory chapter about how you're already a little bit psychic, right? And that's something that I even shared on my last episode, Automatic Intuition. You're already at least a little bit psychic. That's the whole premise for how I teach other people how to do this stuff. But what strikes me as I look at this old tutorial is that it starts out with, you know, you are indeed receiving information from your spirit guides. They want to communicate with you. Well, I mean, that's, I'm coming down pretty definite. And this is why I said I was at a different mindset at the time that I wrote this. Um, so it's funny because in this introductory chapter, I see the word skepticism pop up like two or three times. And yet, even after saying, it's cool if you want to be skeptical, I talk about, you know, the importance of faith and um, how skepticism might hinder your psychic development. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying that. Oh, and, you know, some, some stuff about how the role of a professional intuitive or a psychic or a medium is not to invent faith, but to affirm your experiences. And I mean, I believe that's true. You know, the best readings will often contain truth that you recognize. Um, so yeah, the introduction to this is a pretty hardcore believer. Like I drank the Kool-Aid and I'm sharing it in this tutorial. Um, yeah, there's kind of some stuff about, you know, spiritual being having human experience. I mean, that right there dates the whole thing, right? Like that is a very early 2000s kind of bumper sticker for new age spirituality. Um, the second part of the tutorial, I go through and talk about who and what spirit guides are. I get really specific about angels versus ghosts, earthbound spirits, poltergeist, shadow people, why none of those things are guides. I talk about ancestor spirits, ascended masters, all these different things. And then I break it down into who your personal guides and guardians are, as I perceived of it. And we talk about who's in your guide team, um, you know, how many spirit guides most people have. That was something I used to get asked a lot. Um, you know, I talk about which groups are more communicative than others and why. Uh, 
I talk about why spirit guides aren't necessarily somebody that you knew that passed over. Um, just all these factoids. And, you know, like spirit guides previously incarnated as human beings. They've lived and learned an earthly experience just as we are right now. They've worn physical bodies before. Uh, they have human personality traits. <clears throat> so, yeah, this is kind of like a a generalized, these are the popular things that we believe about spirit guides in the New Age community in 2003. Uh, it goes on with the same thing with angels, like what angels are, how they're different um, as entities. And by the way, you know, angels, one of the words and concepts that exist in all human cultures and um, their name means messenger. <clears throat> Messaging is something very related to guidance, right? Um, talk about ascended masters. So yeah, I'm just breaking it down for you. Here's who's in your team. This is what they do. These are how they are different from the other kind. What they're not. Um, oh, and this is interesting. I go into this breakdown about how um, spirit guides don't have really a physical effect on the world. Like they don't have the ability to move things within um, third dimensional reality, whereas um, angels have the capacity to manifest physically and to intervene. Um, especially like in life-threatening situations and stuff like that. So um, that's interesting. That all feels a little myth-ish to me. It feels a little bit like Sunday school. But I can imagine that someone finding this um, might be very comforted by some of this information. And it's a way of putting a lot of things in boxes that honestly... I now feel have overflown their boxes and is back to being a soup for me. But at the time where I was, when I was breaking this down, I needed to put them all in, you know, clear Rubbermaid containers with labels. And I guess this still speaks to someone who might need to do that at this time in this moment. But then we get to this whole process of communicating with spirit. And I think this is really what I was in my mind thinking when I would rewrite this book, that all the stuff that I just told you on this podcast episode would sort of become the new beginning for the book, and all that spirit guides are this, angels are this, would kind of go away or go into the background or, or be sort of stirred in with a little bit of a different angle. But the meat of the process of communicating using your intuition to access information from deep within yourself, outside yourself, however you want to think about it. I feel like this stuff pretty much holds up. I mean, the basic steps are, um, you know, opening your channel, grounding your energy, protecting your energy, invoking guides, tuning in, setting the agenda for what you sort of want to learn or want to know. There's things like breathing techniques to help you get into that 
mindset. I talk about ritual and prayer and visualization and meditation all as a way of sort of getting into this place. And to tell you the truth, um, there's a big part of it that's about grounding and working with the chakras and, you know, some kind of kundalini stuff, protection. Now, my protection, I have to say, the protection section is a little bit old school, 2003. Um, I have a little bit more nuanced ways to work with protection, especially with the visualizing it. Um, the only thing that I have a little bit of trouble with here is the whole invoking the guides. This is a part that would need to be rewritten to have a little bit more of this open-ended conceptual programming concept built into it. Um, but I still think that working with, with it as metaphors, like the way that we work with money as an archetype, as a personality in the money shift, I would like to see spirit guides, especially in an exercise like this, sort of talked about more in that concept. Remember the concept that, you know, even the most muggle author can really go magic with the language and symbolism. Um, I think we can go super magical with the language and symbolism and the concepts without necessarily having to believe the way that a child might. Um, and then there is this really formal invocation, which I think is hilarious because uh, I think I was kind of trying to follow the sort of Hay House publishing standard of including these kind of formal, you know, prayer texts in everything, like really scripted out for you. Um, and you know me now, I'm much more like, do whatever feels good. What gets you in the mood? Make it up yourself. It's better that way. Um, yeah, some of that all feels a little bit almost childlike to me. Um, but I talk about the senses, the clairs, which I think are real things, again, because I think they could be biological. Um, that whole thing about setting the agenda, it looks like, is about self-agency. The fact that you're not praying to these powerful entities, that you are the one who's kind of in charge, and that... Um, whatever they are and wherever they exist, they are in, in this context serving you. Um, and then there's some stuff where we identify different kinds of guides, like your basic personal guides versus transit guides. Again, I think that's something that we could um, rework conceptually and it would still work. The idea that as you're going through a crisis or as you're going through some major life transition, you would access a different archetype or a different guide, um, you know, to, to heal or to cope or, um, whatever the circumstances might be. Um, yeah. And then I go through a thing about asking the right kinds of questions, which I think is a real thing. Um, we have a tendency to ask why, why did this happen? Why me? When a healthier, more proactive mindset might be to ask, okay, what can I do with this? Um, I know we had a great discussion with Adam Albert in one of the Shifter Spirits posts around some of the tarot that he was posting last year. He was posting articles about 
um, working with the tarot. And there was a question about how to ask better questions. And I can't really remember off the top of my head what he talked about, but he had some really good tips for, you know, um, approaching your issues in a way that is practical and empowering versus just kind of digging in deeper into some trench of I'm a helpless worm, you know. Um, Yeah, and so we talk about sort of logging off basically at the end, which, you know, is a very real thing. Um, I talk about the importance of journaling and sort of doing proprioceptive writing and having a record of of your experiences so that you can look for patterns, you know, pattern recognition is something that, uh, our intuition takes to very well, but it's also still an intellectual concept. So yeah. All right. So there's where I rewrote that part of the book. Here's what I'm left with. Does engaging with these guides work? Does it produce evidence? Does it allow for change? Invention? Ingenuity? Does it inspire you? Does it provide you hope or emotional sustenance? Does it allow you to survive, to transmute pain into meaning? All those are valid valuable acts. I believe you should allow yourself to be guided. Whatever it takes to get you where you're going. And given the option to choose to believe something over not believing it, well, shit, I think it's probably a lot more fun to believe in something. It's more interesting. It's more joyful. So I don't know exactly where I come down as a believer or a skeptic. I like being a skeptic because it's actually not a denier. It's somewhere in between. It's still within the realm of the mystery. And I believe in mystery. I'm comfortable with mystery. I believe there are a lot of cool things in the universe that we don't understand. And I think it's fun to try. I think it's amazing to make up stories about them, to search for scientific discovery about them. All that is valid to the human experience. My truest guides are curiosity, passion, empathy, and a deep desire to connect with others who are wandering through this third dimensional realm. This place is some shit. It's bizarre. I'm glad to have you here in it with me. Thanks again for listening to the Shift Your Spirits podcast. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you prefer. For show notes, links, transcripts, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can also download a free ebook and a meditation to help you connect with your guides. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me or with one of the featured practitioners from our community, 
please go to sladeroberson.com slash readings. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, you can start the course for free by downloading the attunement at automaticintuition.com. Before I go, I promise to leave you a message in answer to a question or a concern you may have. So take a moment to think about that. Hold it in your mind or speak it out loud. I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. If you've just survived a particularly difficult period, or if you're still in the middle of it, enduring, hear this. Congratulations on the evidence of your power. Take a moment to acknowledge your perseverance, your strength, and your grace. If you can go one more breath, one more moment, one more, you can do anything. And I'll talk to you later.